everyone and welcome to another edition of the Not The Top 20 podcast. I am Ali Maxwell, George Ellick is beside me and today we're talking all things EFL, same as it ever was. It's been the international break, it still is the international break, so not a huge amount of championship talking points but plenty to discuss in League One and League Two. One major piece of business that I feel like we need to touch on uh, since the last time we spoke is the sacking of Yapstam at Reading because George I think if there's one thing that that's been noticed uh, over the last year or so is that uh, the, the the relationship between the pod and the Reading fans has at times been strained uh, due to uh, us not always necessarily believing in the team uh, when they were doing very well and then I suppose tracking their their demise this season with a, a sort of uh, a resigned tone to our voice, as it as if uh, as if we called it, which, which we did. So so Yapstam leaves. Uh, having said that, I think we got something wrong. Go on. I'm going to say it with Reading. We got something wrong. We said about six weeks ago that we thought they were going to be fine, and uh, I think maybe we have to hold our hands up now and say maybe on that, guys. Reading fans, fair enough. On that respect, maybe we jumped the gun a bit, and I'm sorry about that. Yeah, researching when Stam was <laughs> sacked, just looking at the. Not just the, the the form numbers, but also the numbers over the last 15, 20 games in terms of shots on target faced, uh, chances created. I mean, Reading have been basically profiling as a, a bottom three, maybe even a bottom two team for the last you know, three or four months and, and barely with a single win in that time as well. So without harping on about Stan, that's been done already, George. Your, your thoughts on Paul Clement as a replacement, both... It, it's that awkward time where you need someone to keep you up, but... Uh, can they look t- towards a future with him as well, or is this just a short-term thing? What, what do you think about it? Well, it's, it's a weird one with Clement because he's obviously he's had two jobs as the main man, one at Derby um, and one at Swansea, and, and you, you think that you know at Derby, I think it was widely seen that he was very unlucky to get sacked when he did, and it may have been uh, not necessarily his coaching or managerial ability that or, or lack of it that got him mm. sacked. It was probably some relationships within the club. Uh, that didn't fit quite well. Um, they were certainly in um, a promotion contention when he left the club and ended up falling away. So that was one story. At, at Swansea, he did, did he win Manager of the Year last year in the Premier League? He was I'm only shortlisted. Sure he won the, the, the overall award. He, I mean, he was up for it because of the, the amazing job he did in getting Swansea safe. And I, in my head, had him down as something of a kind of... Uh, bounce manager in a way that someone who could get results straight away but it's interesting looking back at his time at Derby um, he obviously took over in the summer so had, had took the reins from the beginning of the season and kicked off with four league draws in a row and a cup defeat um, and then had a loss in the league so it took him six league games to get his first win at Derby despite mm. only losing seven games in his whole time there in the league um, so it did take him time I, th- I think because he's a coach obviously he's done lots of things with Carlo Ancelotti's coach at Chelsea at Real Madrid but by Munich so as a coach he's going to be very successful but I do worry that he may not have the the, the man management skills or, or whatever to, to negate or negotiate like a massive turnaround of form of a, of a group of players who are fairly limited. And even, that would be even tough a, for the best managers to do. Definitely. But you look at certain people, that, you know, firefighters in effect, who, who've got a history of, of going to clubs and turning it around straight away. And, and just what's mm. happened in the past at, at uh, just basically at Derby, really. I mean, at Swansea, he, he, he lost his first league game against Arsenal 4 0. 
you know, you can't really argue with that. That's fair enough. And then beat Liverpool at Anfield, which was the catalyst for their season to kick off. So mm-hmm. I, I'm just concerned that looking at that derby, the way it went at derby, where it was a bit of a slow burn, where it took time for the results to come, even though he was only there for, for the best part of, you know, three quarters of a season. Will he have the time at Reading to, to get his, his, you know, obviously exceptional coaching credentials across to them? It's an interesting one. That he's he's known really for being a, a, a well organised coach uh, on the defensive end. I think it's fair to say that's something that's categorised the teams that he's managed. And I suppose to to that extent, if he could even make a small improvement on the defensive end at Reading, it should be enough to to, to get a, the few points or you know the amount of points that they need probably to to get them safe. If he can't do that. Well, you know, their attacking options are limited. They've shown not a huge amount of confidence in any sort of attacking style this season where last season they were relying on on, on one trick, basically. And, and that's not really come to fruition this season. So there's, it's a really awkward time to join the club. And I think it, it's, a, it's quite a big risk on his part. But um, I think from Reading's point of view, if they had to make the change, and firstly, you'd ask why they didn't make it earlier. And I'm not sure they could have done a huge amount better. And then there's also the fact that Yapstam has drilled this team to play a certain way and he's going to have his work cut out to, to try and get them to play differently I'd guess you know the, the, whether or not he'll want his team knocking out of the back for as long whether he'll want you know the ball to be kept in possession so deep in the pitch we're yet to see but I, I doubt it um, especially mm. given the, the defensive frailties that have been exposed with that that style of football so you know it's going to be I think we're going to learn a lot in this first couple of games Let's get the managerial sackings out the way in League One Graham Alexander was sacked by Scunthorpe on Saturday night it's one win in 13 for Scunny and they're still fifth which seems remarkable when you think about it Um, such a poor run of form and yet still uh, in the playoff places and this one's really divided opinion Uh, it's it's always interesting to see the reaction of the fans and the reaction of other fans in the league but pretty much everyone who's not a Scunthorpe fan has said you know what on earth is going on how are you sacking a manager when you're in fifth this is an absolute joke and some of the Scunthorpe fans from from our timeline about 50-50 are saying no this is the right decision this had to happen um you know it's it's now or never for this season and with with Alexander in charge it would have been never so it, it's a really interesting one they've been a league one playoff standard team for for about two years they finished the 15-16 season really strongly just missed out uh, but but you know had the season been four games longer they'd have made the playoffs famously made the playoffs last season and have been in it all year this season so you understand why it, it looks to the external fan like or, or the non-fan like a crazy decision and maybe maybe make some excuses for, for the Scunthorpe board I think people who look at league tables and decided that they can judge whether or not a manager should be sacked or not are just lazy um, it's kind of the long and short of it mm. we, we saw the same when Clotet was sacked at, um, at Oxford and we still had national journalists tweeting that it was on an unfair dismissal because we were 10th well I mean they had absolutely no idea what was going on and probably hadn't seen many uh, well, yellows games yeah completely I won't name names um, but uh, with Scunthorpe, I think it's, it, it's, it's turning into a pattern. And I think with any pattern, that's when you've got to, to, to arrest, um, to stop it, basically. This is the second year in a row where the, the form's just totally fallen apart when it gets to crux time. Um, they are fifth in name, but realistically, the, the trajectory was downwards with the likes of Peterborough and Plymouth obviously picking up points very, very quickly. And then even, you know, looking further down at Charlton and Portsmouth, who got good wins on the weekend, who, mm. who are going to be certainly looking up now and, and hoping to get in the playoffs. So ben, ben if, 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 if there's no, if there's no, you know, faith that if what happened last year 
didn't really end. I mean, they kind of turned around right towards the end of the season into the playoffs, but realistically, this is the same again. So I think he is pretty fair enough he had to go. Yeah, I'm sure he would say he'd been dealt a slightly tough hand in the in the sense that with Madden and Von Veen leaving in January and not a huge replacement signed, I was looking at the, the squad from the last two games. It's still a good first eleven when they get all their players on the pitch. There's not, not a huge amount of depth, I'd say. And going forward, they've really tailed off. But worryingly, because I think that's one of the things that always sort of personified them in in my brain anyway was a um, a very structured defensive setup and a, and a, a very good defense basically um, but looking at Ben Mayhew's e ratings uh, update recently you know using looking at the performance data looking away from just um, score lines that they, they have the 15th best defense so not a good defense over the last 30 games and and uh, you know they're still in with a, a, a a probable chance of making the playoffs which is an interesting an interesting one and, and presumably if you're a manager this is a uh, quite a quite a uh, an attractive job so who, who are the candidates at the moment and and what do you expect them to be excited about going into the Scunthorpe team yeah so with my uh, with my professional hat on I'll turn into odds check ahead of media relations for one second and take you through the betting uh, we've got Grant McCann as the 11 to 8 favourite um, that's with Bet Victor uh, Steve Cottrell 7 and 4 with the same firm Steve McLaren uh, eight to one best price. That's with Skybet. He was twenty to one earlier, and the owner was or the chairman came out saying that he was definitely inter- interested in McLaren and Cottrell. Basically, uh, in a an admittance that they're on the shortlist, and then Juve Rosler twelve to one. So all the names you'd really expect to be in there. Um, all the guys who are basically recently out of jobs yeah. in in League One. Um, I, I personally, if I was a fan looking at that, I'd, I'd be looking at the two outsiders there as the as the uh, ones I'd be wanting in McLaren and Rosler. I think that McCann. Um, didn't show enough for me at Posh and I think he's being shown up now by Evans a, a, what is a very good squad that should be in the top six and he was failing to get it there consistently he'll have done very well out of his playing career if he does get this job because obviously at Posh he was a bit of a legend and now at Scunthorpe as well he'll have yeah. you know, the, the club legend is the word that's being bandied around that, yeah exactly you know. and I guess that's why he is such a short price but maybe it's telling that, that the chairman did come out today and name check Cottrell and McLaren and, and not McCann um, so it could be guesswork as to why he's favourite but um but, and then Tony Dawes, who I think is taking caretaker charge at 14-1 mm. to 1 as well. So, definitely interesting. Further managerial news, we discussed John Whitney's departure last time out. Dean Keats has come in uh, to take over. A local lad, great history with the club, very much another club legend. Someone that uh, I know a lot of the fans we follow on Twitter were very excited to have back as part of the club. It's, it's sort of boosted morale, I think it's fair to say, which had hit rock bottom. Uh, had done a, 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 a very good job at Wrexham uh, as far as experts of that level have, have told us of our, as far as things that we've won specifically um, like a lot of managers these days setting up f- from the back uh, keeping it structured keeping it tight and, and he'd, uh, he'd been doing very well so um, a tough start with him a 3-0 loss against Wigan but it's not, not anything you can really <laughs> judge a team on at this stage but Walsall themselves not a huge not a huge chance of relegation, but they do need to be careful. I mean, we're, we're probably looking at about a 15% chance of relegation looking at uh, Ben Mayhew's stats. So um, Dean Keats will have to pick up a win or two, I think, fairly swiftly. I think, I think it's going to get worse before it gets better. I mean, they've got Pompey and Bradford up next. Two tough tough tasks. I don't care what anyone says about Bradford. They're still you know, going to Valley Parade. is not going to be an easy ride for Walsall. And Bradford will be looking at that game as the one that hopefully they can turn the... Turn the the, the, you know the slide around and then bury Oldham and, and AFC Wimbledon that's basically a season in three games there for them so 
um, going to be yeah going to be interesting. Now for the news that affects two clubs in League One, and we'll try and keep uh, our d- big day out yesterday, where we went down to Fratton Park for Carl Robinson's debut as Oxford manager. We're going to keep that game separate for the moment and just talk about the actual move between clubs. Robinson moving from Charlton to Oxford on Thursday. George he tried to resign twice of Charlton as Charlton manager finally had that resignation accepted uh, and moved across essentially as far as we know and listening to Johnny Jackson on TalkSport 2 earlier basically uh, fears about his future at the club should the uh, takeover go through and even you know without the takeover uh, possibly some frustrations about um, the the Charlton ambition of the current board and so he's jumped ship to Oxford so uh, firstly they have Lee Bowyer and Johnny Jackson in charge Bowyer was Robinson's assistant was brought into the club by Robinson and now gets his first shot at management very much as a caretaker and with club legend there's that word again uh, that phrase again Johnny Jackson alongside him and they got a fantastic win at a bouncing valley on Saturday, 2-0 against Plymouth, something that has really put them in and amongst it uh, in the playoff places. They've got a game in hand, um, and they are uh, a team, I suppose, who, in quite an unlikely sense, appear to have picked up um, a bit of good feeling, a bit of momentum from losing their manager, not even sacking him, from having him leave, to ostensibly a divisional rival. So from your point of view... You're happy with the appointment of Carl Robinson. Uh, it, it could have been a lot worse. Could it have been any better? I mean, I'm very happy. As I said, I think if, if we'd appointed Carl Robinson the day after Pep Clotet got sacked, I think they'd have been dancing on the streets of Oxford. You know, it's, Four weeks in management doesn't make someone a bad manager. Um, Charlton fans are quick to point out to us that things had, had kind of gotten sour and that his persistence in playing the same formation and his substitutions and stuff. But, you know, fast forward or rewind the month and, and they were... They were begging for him not to leave for Barnsley. So, and I think if a guy is trying to engineer his his departure from a club, a it's going to sour the the relationship with the fans, and, and b it's also pretty going to impact his his impact at the club. So um, I'm happy to just kind of not listen to the noise of, of Charlton fans saying how happy they are that, that, he's, that he's left, really. Quite a lot of fans, uh, general EFL fans, I'd say, and, and wider football fans, uh, don't seem to like Carl Robinson I must as say, a bloke. But I, I didn't. I mean, I, I, I didn't. I but that's that. not an issue for you? No. I mean, I, I, having had Chris Wilder as our manager and then losing him, I think if you've, if you've got a nasty, glo- nasty bloke who's your nasty bloke, who everyone else hates, that's basically the ideal situation. Um, he's come into the club and made all the right noises, which I think he's done at every club he's been at. But it's, you know, he, he, got, this, um, he got MK Dons into the playoffs twice. He then got them promoted automatically, scoring 101 goals. He, he's very obvious in the type of football he plays. Uh, when it's going well is very, very good indeed. Um, I think that Charlton fans are obviously very happy that he's gone now and especially after the result on Saturday, but I'd rather be in our situation than theirs, especially if they go and get Harry Kuehl. <laughs> <laughs> and yesterday we were at Fratton Park and Carl Robinson made a point of sending the players over to clap the away fans before the game. He did so himself before and after the game as well. The result was poor, but generally as a, as a first game in charge, obviously there was... Uh, a, a pretty lively incident w- involving a red card in the second half, which which we can touch on, uh, and a, and a fiery post match interview. So after after game one, you're, you're you're still feeling positive, even though on on paper it was a, a heavy defeat. Yeah, and I think he's got the fans on side with the way that we played and also his reaction. And I'm sure that if if we've lost six games in a row and he's still doing this in six games, like it seemed to be the way at Charlton towards the end, then you know he won't have as many fans but but you know he can only react a certain way and when there's kind of blatant injustice well not 
And just you've, you've had time to sleep on it now, George. So let's just go through this. Uh, everyone will have probably seen the clip. It's basically the most exciting thing that happened in football this weekend. Uh, Alex Mowat stood over a penalty after about an hour, which would have made it 1-1. And in a minute's time, Oxford have ended up with a red card instead of a goal um, because a former Swindon player called Thompson has Nathan. basically... Nathan Thompson has celebrated in Mowat's face after missing the penalty and he's been sort of swiped, I'd say. It wasn't quite a slap and it certainly wasn't a punch. I'd say swiped uh, on, the, on the cheek, uh, something that was pretty obvious from the stands and you can actually see George and I in the background of the shot, uh, me, <laughs> me trying to point out to George what's happened right in front of us as he buries his head into my shoulder after, uh, after the penalty miss. But... You're still calling it an injustice. You think Thompson should have been sent off as well? well. I mean, he'd been booked early, uh, sorry, late in the first half, and if that's not if that's not unsportsmanlike conduct, I, I, I don't think um, I don't know what is. Even even Mark Halsey um, I saw. went onto Twitter, the the ex Premier League referee, to to support Carl Robinson in his in his tirade. And I, no one's you know trying to justify what Alex Mowat did. I think we can all understand it, but I think it's a it's a very very blatant red card. And it's frustrating that he missed the penalty, but it's more just the fact that a guy on a yellow card has run over and screamed in the face of a bloke who's missed a penalty. And 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 Carl Robinson also said that our players were told that that he had booked him in that melee and had seemingly forgotten, and then mm. decided he'd book the keeper. Whether or not that's true, I don't know. But I mean, and, and the other frustrating thing for me is that we, in my mind, we should have been level before the penalty anyway, just in terms of the pattern of play and and and. The, the chance um, yeah, what, the way the what, chances fell so what did you think of the, the two sides and, and the styles and the difference between them I mean Portsmouth are with that win in 8th two points off the playoffs and Oxford are in 16th five points above the relegation zone but it, it was it was a very even game yeah I think naturally the way that the game went with Pompey scoring first they're always going to sit back um, and maybe that means that the, the balance of play and the, and the balance of possession flatters Oxford a bit but having said that, and, and, and they look very dangerous on the break, on the break I must say, uh, Pittman was just phenomenal at basically every part of the game. He won every header against our two centre-backs who are much taller than him. He scored two goals after the red card. He was just a nuisance all day. And, uh, and Jamal Lowe did, I think, very, very little until the red card. And then as soon as the space opened up against 10 men, he was the, the catalyst and creator of the two goals. So fair play. Um, to them, I mean, Thompson got man of the match. I think for for purely for his um, for his I can't swear. So um, for his contributions, yeah, for his contributions. So uh, yeah, I, I thought he played well. I thought personally that Pompey, as you say, that they got the lead so early, and it was one of those great ones where as soon as the corner was about to be taken right in front of us, it was very noticeable that on average their players had about an inch on whoever was marking them and and, and mm. so it was always going to be an issue for Oxford set pieces. And then they sat in and I think generally what came across to me was that Pompey weren't anything special going forward but that back four does look very sturdy. Uh, Walks who's on loan from Spurs, Jack Watmore and Clark who I was especially really impressed with, um, Matthew Clark and Donahue at left back as well is is is, is made of sturdy stuff so uh, and they've got Thompson obviously doing the dirty work in front so I think if they were to reach the playoffs that would be a strength of their game would be as you say, trying to trying to use the the talents of of um, of Pittman, uh, the athleticism and pace of the likes of Lowe and, and Naismith and Close in the central midfield, and then keeping it tight basically. But 
Ben Mayhew's ratings has them as the second best defence over the last 30 games. So that's something to bear in mind if you're looking for a, a dark horse in the playoffs, I suppose. Um, I, I wouldn't. O- Oxford <laughs> I wouldn't. are five points <laughs> off the top half and five points above the relegation zone. Yeah. The bookies are offering 10 to 1 for Oxford to get relegated and 10 to 1 for Oxford to make the top half. Therefore, very unlikely... Which one would you be betting on if you had to? I'd be betting on them reaching the top half based on the strength of that performance. I think I think I'd more likely as us to get relegated, sadly. But but hopefully neither of them. I mean, I'm certainly not even thinking about a top half finish. And I think Carl Robinson's been very very clear that the, the 50 points is the aim. And when, when we get there, then we'll start talking about other things. Um, and I think the sooner we do it in terms of player retention, because there are a few guys out of contract who we want to, who he definitely wants to sign on very very soon. And I can't imagine they'll be signing until till they know what league we're playing in next season, um, if at all. So I, and our fixtures, I mean, we've got to play the top three all away. Mm. One of them um, on Monday, Shrewsbury, who went top of the league this weekend and were pretty good for it. This was a game that I watched. Uh, they played Wimbledon. I was cutting the highlights for this one and there weren't a huge amount of highlights, I think it's fair to say. Um, I've spoken to a couple of people who were there who don't disagree with that. It was a very Shrewsbury 27-18 victory uh, by one goal, uh, a fairly scrappy goal from, from a good delivery, you know, getting to the second ball quicker, I suppose, wanting it more to use that, that excellent cliche um, and generally looking relatively sturdy despite the absence of some of their major players um, and Ciala at the back I think is excellent and just wins basically everything uh, and obviously Nolan in midfield it was interesting Chris Coleman was there the Sunderland manager and there was obviously the sort of gags if they're even jokes about him planning for next season and looking at potential opposition uh, more likely to have been scouting I suppose and 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 Nolan's probably the obvious one there Nolan it's such an easy comparison to make between him and Ryan Woods because he's fairly short, very red-headed and plays for Shrewsbury, which is where Woods played before Brentford. But as everyone knows, Woods is a player that we like a lot. He's a very busy, defensive, playmaking midfield player. And Nolan is similar. He, he is the one who gets on the ball for Shrewsbury. He's constantly buzzing around, picking it up, moving it on. Um, and I thought he had a really good game. He, he wasn't excellent, but he was good. And that was more than most. And... Payne and Morris played up front. It's been rare that they both start for Shrewsbury this season. You can kind of see why they they didn't click at all. They didn't link up at all. And Shrewsbury were you know were good for their win, but didn't play particularly well. And I think despite them going top of the table, you know Wigan and Blackburn are still the favourites to get the automatic promotion spots. They've got the games in hand. And just in terms of of the eye test and watching these teams, um, it still feels like Shrewsbury, as hugely impressive as they are, and as far ahead of of fourth place as they are, um, do look like the third best team. But as we've said all season, you wouldn't put it past them to, to keep going. As for Wimbledon, I'd still be a little worried about their relegation uh, fears. They're, they're just above it at the moment. I think it's uh, two points above Northampton they are. Uh, it's probably, and I suppose ironically, if that's the right use of the word, MK Dons that they might be sort of really battling with because Northampton look really poor. Um, but they just have so little going forward, Wimbledon. Um, you saw them the other day, and I think they, they did okay, but up against Shrewsbury of course it's going to be tough and of course they, you know, they would have loved to take a nil-nil out of that game but just so little combination play up front just no substance basically uh, Lyle Taylor was up front on his own and, and trying his best but 
it was all kind of in vain. Uh, and Forrester always looks very pretty, but has very little substance. I'd say that Bartram's basically the opposite. He sort of works very hard, but his, uh, his quality might be lacking at times. And so it, it's an interesting one. Um, for, for, for Don's, I'm, I'm not particularly negative, but I'm not particularly positive either. So that's something that we'll keep an eye on. As I said, in the playoff places, there was a big result. That Charlton win uh, meant that they leap above. No, they don't leap above Plymouth, but they get a lot closer to Plymouth. Um, and Plymouth's loss meant that they dropped out of the playoff places. Peterborough are now in the fourth slot there. Um, but they themselves couldn't win. So it, it's all a bit ugly at the moment, but there's basically... Peterborough and Plymouth on 57 and Portsmouth and Charlton on 55 battling for sixth place and depending on how Scunthorpe do under a new manager possibly fifth and sixth might be up for grabs um, we're going to do our League One All-Star team now George and uh, some of the listeners and followers on Twitter will have seen us do the same for the championship and we thought well it's only fair that we do an All-Star team for all three divisions so we're not going to go through individual draft picks. We, we performed the draft uh, in a controlled environment earlier, a very fair environment, and I think we're both quite happy with our teams. There's lots of different teams represented as well, which I think is always quite important when doing this. So, uh, George, we'll go sort of positionally. You picked Christian Walton in goal, and I picked Dean Henderson, so Wigan and Shrewsbury there. Your back four was McMahon of Bradford, Byrne and Dunkley, the two Wigan centre-backs, and Jada Silva. Uh, of Charlton and my back four was Nathan Byrne Wiggins right back Enciala and Mulgrew and Joe Mattock the Rotherham left back I think it's fair to say at full back we didn't feel spoilt <laughs> for choice and, and obviously it's a bit tougher to really know the exact ins, ins and outs of every league one full back but I like Mattock I think he's a I think he's um, a solid player and I and I would have picked to Silver ahead of him but that was your pick um, in midfield I've got Funzo Ojo of Scunthorpe pretty much the only player to have come out of the last few months with any sort of um, credit and I've got Nolan as well as discussed just now uh, you went with Richie Smallwood and Ryan Ledson um, the Oxford boy couldn't leave an Oxford player out and you've got Graham Carey and Guion Edwards on the wings and Nick Powell of Blackburn at number 10 I've got Oz Toomer Dak and Michael Jacobs of Wigan sort of buzzing around behind the number nine. You went with Brett Pittman. That's because I had picked Jack Marriott. So please follow us at NTT20pod on Twitter. Uh, I'll be tweeting out the teams over the next 24 hours or so, and it'd be great to get your feedback. Those of you who are watching League One closely, tell us who we missed out. Tell us if you like our teams. Tell us whose team you like better. We'd appreciate that, and we hope that you enjoy our League One All-Stars. Um, George... You had to get Ledson in there, didn't you? Well, how many of those players have one million pound bids rejected for them? <laughs> Nick Powell's had a ten million pound yeah, bid rejected. How many, how many have I won? No, very, very, very true. I think my he'll, team. He'll play, he'll play the Premier League, so that's fine. Yeah, you, you, you've got eight teams represented. I've got seven, so I suppose in that sense you've done quite well. You've, you've spread it out a bit. Um, in League Two, George, there was a bit of an odd. Well, I suppose for the outsider, a bit of an odd managerial change at Stevenage, only really because of its timing. Um, Stevenage are one of those great teams where if you look at Ben Mayhew's um, possibilities for them, it is basically 98% uh, bottom half but safe and a 1% chance, 2% chance of being uh, in the top half. So th there's basically nothing for them to really play for, but they decided to sack manager Darren Saul and bring in former player Dino Marmria uh, who'd been doing a bit of a job down at Nuneaton Town in the National League North. It strikes me as this is a bit of a bit of a harsh one for Saul where they 
had a look at their old assistant manager, their old player, going back to club legends and just thought, what if someone else takes him? We better actually act quite quickly in order to make sure that we're the ones who end up as a manager. Yeah, you, you wrote a, a profile of Darren Saul as part of our I did. 10 best young English or British EFL managers last season. Uh, and it, it was always a bit of an odd one because he was so highly rated as a coach, as someone who developed youth players, which is you know not unusual. We saw that at Barnet with Rossett Eames as well. But he always had Glenn Roder there, which sort of seemed to suggest to me that... But is he, I don't. I, did he do a bad job at Stevenage getting in the mid-table this year? Isn't that kind of? Well, it was mid-table, and then it's been really tailing off. I think they, they've they've only won maybe one this calendar year, and yeah. I think they basically signed more players in January than you would have expected a mid-table team to sign, possibly trying to move up at the playoffs. And perhaps Saul was part of that decision to say yes, we can go for it. So you know, you go ahead and spend the spend the money on the players and obviously it's gone the other way so I think that's a bit of an issue but uh, Dino Marmory is a, a, um, a, a remarkable bloke he phoned into the 72 on TalkSport 2 uh, when I was a guest on Thursday and he was like such a strong character he was he was some very strong words and he, he was Graham Wesley's assistant wasn't he for a few years so you've, yeah. got, to, you've got to be to do that maybe yeah. he was the actual now that Wesley's absolutely terrible everywhere. Maybe he was the genius. Maybe he was. Maybe it's a Gus Poe, Dennis Wise scenario here. Yeah, he, uh, <laughs> he really wasn't mincing his words. I mean, we spoke to Dan Machichi when he was hired at MK Dons, and he was sort of, uh, I suppose, quietly confident but thoughtful. And Dino Marmaria was like a bull in a china shop. He was, he was off. He was off on one, and and he was, I suppose, quite impressive. He also interestingly said that Ben Wilmot and. Mark McKee uh, will play in the Premier League at some point in their career and that Ben Kennedy should be playing now at Championship level. So there's clearly talent there and uh, it'll be interesting to see how he does. They lost at home to Colchester. It was a bit of an insipid start under Marmaria. Um, and at Barnet, talking of Graham Wesley, um, Barnet announced the appointment of Martin Allen for his fifth spell at the club in a desperate attempt to stay up. He's their fourth manager of this season. And right at the end of the announcement, they, uh, they noted that this meant that their manager, Graham Wesley, had left the club. It was a remarkable announcement, but the Wesley experiment... And then there was, then there was like the long letter to fans as well from the owner where he took them through the, the, the roller coaster of managerial appointments they've had. And he was fairly... Um, you know, he was fairly uh, full of praise for Wesley and he didn't seem to have a chip on his shoulder about him at all. And he just said that when the opportunity came to bring Alan back in and it was last chance saloon, he, he had to act again. I'd be surprised if the opportunity hasn't been there all season. But regardless, um, if we consider that Alan, especially after that fairly meek loss at, at Luton on Saturday, uh, is going to be the one in charge as Barnet dropped down into the National League. And I think we're both pretty clear on that. Well, what about... Chesterfield, who have been in the bottom two for quite a while now, but recorded a huge win on Sunday against Notts County. And George, looking at that bottom of League Two now, can Chesterfield punch their way out? Does it look like they? Do you think they will? And if so, at the at the uh, well, the expense of Grimsby. I mean, I think that at the moment, looking at it, it's not a case of punching their way out. It's a case of just moving past a sitting duck. Um, you know, the, Michael Jolly's obviously spoken a very good game when he's come in, but the you know it's a terrible, terrible result for them on the weekend, and, and they're, they're still just incapable of picking up points, and they're, they're now, you know, it's now not in their hands anymore. I mean, whether Chesterfield can convert two games in hand into six points is very, very unlikely, of course, but you can now say that it's it's officially Chesterfield's to 
to lose. Um, and, you know, Grimsby have got Stevenage at home on, on Good Friday, which is just a huge, huge game now. Mm. Um, because if they can't pick up points at home, I can't see them doing very well away from home. Um, they're in serious trouble. And they're, they're now, I think, around about the 7-2 the mark, 2-1 to one to, to be relegated. And that looks like massive value to me still. Um, Pretty I sure we flagged that up a few weeks ago when it was more like seven or eight to one. Thirteen to two, yeah. Um, but you know, the two to one at Betfair now looks looks like a cracking price to me. Well, let's hope that our dreams of setting up a, um, a weekly NTT Twenty tipping service uh, next season might come to fruition. <laughs> Just a little uh, microscope into some potential plans there for you, dear listener. And um, I thought they were quite impressive watching the highlights back from that Chesterfield Notts County game. I mean, Notts County have, have obviously dropped off and don't look nearly as imperious or as impressive or as solid as they used to but excellent performance from Andy Kellett uh, Christian Dennis obviously always a handful and Zavon Hines I didn't even know he was at Chesterfield uh, but he scored an excellent goal to make it 2-0 and, and well done Chesterfield it would be a hell of an effort if uh, Jack Lester can drag them out of it uh, just at the top George that was great news for Wickham basically that result um, it, it's not a hugely exciting battle actually uh, for automatic promotion in League Two and, and if Wickham were to slip up then there's every chance that a Notts County or an Exeter or a Coventry or even a Mansfield could get in but you know looking at the data and what that says Ben Mayhew's got basically 66% more or less or about 64% chance of Wickham being in the top two Accrington and Luton more like 95% sorry top, top three, three. Yeah. and Notts County Exeter and Coventry all hovering around the sort of 11, 12, 13% mark so it looks like we might have our top three there and, and yeah and, you know that, then there's then there's basically five or six teams gunning for the four playoff spots and, and it's up to Lincoln and Swindon really to, uh, to punch their way in but Swindon with a, a damaging defeat against Exeter on the weekend and lastly Coventry City 14 points from their last six games uh, they scored four on the weekend if there's one thing we knew about Coventry at the start of the season it's that they had the best defence in the league but one of the worst attacks but McNulty's absolutely flying up the goal scorers charts which we flagged up early tipped on. up before the season Just only, for, there now. only for him to barely score to start the season but um, uh, exciting stuff definitely things to play for over the next few weeks and of course Easter weekend is huge George there's, there's two Two fixtures for each team. Um, we're at the stage of the season where, you know, <laughs> with the games coming thick and fast, with injuries and poor fitness and, and so much on the line, then it gets pretty exciting. So uh, Oxford are on TV again this weekend. Yeah, Good Friday, 12.45 kickoff, Scunthorpe at home. That's an interesting one. What would you predict? What can people watching, who should they look out for, a fan of, of, uh, of, of picking up talent uh, that we saw yesterday I'd guess our kind of attacking quartet before we get near a striker will be or I mean our midfield quartet will be Henry Rothwell um, Brannigan and Edson and that's four pretty good technical players at this level so fingers crossed they can unlock uh, Scunthorpe and for Scunthorpe I think Funzo Ojo I touched on him earlier he was in my all-star team definitely watch out for him so such a, a classy player at the base of Scunthorpe's midfield and then you know they've got so many players who on their day can be a threat Adilakun if, if he if he plays which he isn't doing much at the moment and obviously Josh Morris as well uh, thank you very much for listening hope you've enjoyed this mostly focusing on League 1 and League 2 due to the international break we'll be back with a, a full selection of Championship League 1 and League 2 next time uh, please tweet us at NTT20pod uh, if you've got anything to, to bring up really uh, off the back of this pod we really love chatting to you all about uh, all things EFL players 
tactics, managers, whatever it is, please do tweet us at NTT20pod. And if you have time and you've really got to this point of the pod and thought, well, that was excellent. Well, if you could drop us a review on <laughs> iTunes as well, that would be that would be great. They've slowed down a bit recently, so it'd be great to, to sort of pop us up the rankings a little bit this week. And uh, until next time, thank you very much for listening. <laughs>